The Fujicast is an independent loading zone production. Second week. Um, sounding slightly different because um, we, we're in Sheikhev, as I called it last week. This is Kevin's opulent studio in uh, lower, uh, no, it'd be higher, wouldn't it? Hi- uh, upper Malmesbury. Upper Malmesbury. There's not really such a thing as a lower Malmesbury. I mean, there's, there's the whole place is, I mean, honestly, I've never seen, it's like an Aston Martin showroom. It really is. And Kev lives amongst all this 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 wealth and opulence. It's a beautiful town, though, isn't it? I'm taking a mickey a bit, but yeah, what a beautiful he, part of the world to live in. You're taking a mickey a lot. Although we do have Dyson here, so when he he, yeah. he comes in in his helicopter and drives around. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't drive into work. No, no, yeah. no, he gets people to drive him. Funny that he's talking about carbon footprint, isn't it? Making electric cars, yet he flies into work in a helicopter. Yeah. Just thought I'd mention that. He actually doesn't live far away either, so. It's like a one and a half minute helicopter flight. Oh my God, right, okay. So yeah, that's why it sounds a little bit different. Um, Kev has been so busy of late that we said, why don't we do the podcast? We'll take a little outside broadcast desk here and we'll, and we'll take this in and we'll go and do the show at Kev's place instead of the, um, the radio studio that we usually do it in. Um, which has been it's been nice I mean we've, this is the second week of me coming back here and um, we've got the espresso here look, look at this lovely Still haven't changed your, your coffee. It's gorgeous, this coffee. Yeah, it's the it. smallest coffee cup in the whole world. It's espresso. It's meant to be like that. The Fuji Cast. This week, thank you to our friends at Simpler Straps for letting us give away a simpler camera strap to each of our favourite email questions of the week. Uh, I have one. Kev has one to give away. Great thing about Simpler, S-I-M-P-L-R, is the fact that they're proportioned and made for smaller pro-grade cameras, like maybe a forthcoming X-Pro3. Uh, Max function, minimal bulk, quick adjusting, non-metal hardware that won't scratch your camera and glass. Go to simpler, S-I-M-P-L-R dot U-S to see what these things look like. Also, you're going to love today's interview, by the way, um, Amelia Trowbridge. Yeah. I was, uh, to be honest, Amelia comes with, I hope she won't mind me saying she's listening to this podcast. Sorry, Amelia, um, because I'm hoping to go back and do a longer version for Breathe Pictures, my other podcast. Um, but um, she has a reputation of being quite a, quite, quite a forthright. Um, fierce would be the wrong word. Although I believe she uses fierce in the interview. I might be wrong. But uh, quite a forthright um, phot- uh, photographer. And I, I, I was told by somebody, oh, you're, you're, you're interviewing Amelia. Whoa, I said, you make sure you do your research. And, and I thought, oh, no, what's happening? But um, today, Amelia, and, and, and instantly, the moment I spoke to Amelia, which was a couple of weeks ago, and I, I interviewed her from the studio, um, the normal studio, and she was absolutely amazingly generous with all her information, uh, everything that she has to impart. But I thought the funniest part of it, it I recorded this, so it is a couple of weeks, a good couple of weeks ago now, I recorded this on the day that they, the judges, the high the, the High Court judges ruled on Boris's um, proroguing. And she made us listen to a, uh, to a feed from the BBC down the line before we even started this. I won't tell you which way she voted or what she had to say about it, but I, it, was, it was probably one of the more surreal interviews I, I'd done. Oh, I bet. Yeah. I tell you what, though, this whole proroguing thing, um, I think it's been quite a good thing because I didn't even know proroguing was a word. And yeah, now I know yeah. it. Now you know it. Yeah. So, um, so Amelia Trowbridge, later on during the show, really looking forward to playing that interview back for you. Right, questions, here we go. Okay, so I have a, a, quite a long question from Ricky Manso, and it starts by saying, Hi, Kevin and Noel. So, it's a oh, good this start. is the Noel question we talked about last <laughs> week. You can't possibly um, get me confused with Noel Edmonds. I know. I, you know what? I must. As American people think, who's, who's Noel Edmonds? We must. Um, I must stop taking the mic out of people who make spelling mistakes and names and stuff. Yeah, don't get you. Yeah, because that's cruel. Yeah. Anyway, so um, Ricky Manso says, I, "There's a story. First of all, we need to read out the story. Uh, I am an engineer who's doing a higher education degree, PhD course, three and a half years long. Whew, clever guy." I'm 32 years old. In the last two years, photography became my real passion. I always talk and watch YouTube videos about it. Since the passion emerged, I'm always wearing my camera, Fujifilm X-T3, by the way, capturing street portraits, graduation, etc. My ultimate goal is to become a documentary wedding photographer. However, nowadays, I'm having the biggest ever dilemma of my life. Dun, dun, dun. As I'm thinking of withdrawing from my PhD course. No way! Ooh. And doing a leap of faith with my photography. My I do passion. like le- a leap of faith is uh, something I, I totally subscribe to. This decision has to be made very soon. 
questions. First one, Kevin, I know you have told your story before, but would you please share with me your feelings you had back then? Were you optimistic about your decision when you made it or or have you just taken the risk despite so, your so, worries? So for those that aren't aware, this, this is the day that Kevin came home to his, his, his dear suffering wife, Gemma, um, who, who you hear about so often on the, sh- on, on the show. And he said to her, I think I'm going to leave this extremely well-paid position I have in London doing this incredibly um, high-profile job and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become a wedding photographer. <laughs> And actually, I I think uh, with all due respect to Gemma, in every single way, she was incredibly generous. Yeah, oh God, yeah. With, with the way she accepted that that news. Yeah, uh, well, not actually on the day it didn't go oh, down oh, okay. that well, but yeah, absolutely. After that, yeah. So uh, briefly, that's essentially what I did. I just gave up. I wouldn't say it was a high profile, and it certainly wasn't that well paid. But it was uh, it, it was comfortable. <laughs> put it that way. <laughs> it was comfortable. That's, that's what led to you being able to afford this um, this this high power studio that's the, the size of a tennis court that was sitting in at the moment yeah. with gold fittings everywhere. Yeah. High paid. Yeah, that I rent for £230 a month. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah, it, briefly, I was doing something very different. Certainly wasn't a PhD. And uh, I changed on the flip of a coin, hadn't been a photographer at all. And that's, I think, where the difference between myself and you, Ricky, comes in, in that you are already a photographer. You already love it. You already know what you want to do. I had no idea. I literally picked up a magazine, opened a page, looked at the article and went, I want to do that. Is that really what happened? Yeah. That's exactly. What I always happened. thought this was maybe a, a journey that you'd taken on that train going into London every day for for a couple of months, and thought, "What's this?" One day, and then the next day, thought, "Hmm," and and then that sort of mm, became a yeah a, 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 across a couple of months. Was it really that quick? Oh uh, well, yeah, I suppose in that in that sense, yes. I mean, I didn't I didn't go home that night and write my resignation letter, um, but I did go home that night and say to Gemma, "This is what I want to do." And uh, you know, at that point, I didn't really have any idea, n- no idea whatsoever. And so, yes, I definitely took a leap of faith. However, I wasn't halfway through a PhD course. And, you know, Ricky, you said it's three and a half years. I I feel like, uh, what was that name of the um, agony ant on? um, Claire Rayner. Claire Rayner? Okay, I'll be Claire. Well, she was one, wasn't she? I'll be Claire Rayner. Yeah. Yeah. She was a really good agony aunt. I don't suppose you read the Daily Mirror, did you? Uh, No. What's the Daily Mirror? (laughs) Is it one of those awful red top papers? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I think she was called Marjorie. (laughs) I shouldn't say that because I once worked for News International. So uh, Uh, I did some work for News International. Did you? When I was in this job that we're talking about, I left. I remember. The the computer job? uh, Yeah. Were you in charge of all the snoop? <laughs> I went. I went. I, I had to go and have a uh, have a meeting with uh, like one of the, the IT directors or something. Yeah. And it was when they were still in Wapping. And I went over, um, nervous little me, like age twenty two or something. I went up to this office, and it was right. His office, his desk was right in the middle of the print wow. room. And I sat there. We're talking about Murdoch's office. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah. yeah but it yeah. wasn't him though. But, but it he was, put it him in Wapping. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this guy, this this IT. But when he was there, he he was um, you know he'd make his presence felt. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this guy. I mean, his desk was right in the middle of the of the printing floor, and I sat opposite him. First thing he did was he poured himself a scotch and lit up a cigarette. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> the good old days of the press. Literally, yeah, right in yeah, front yeah. of me. And then he went. What are you here for? Yeah. Well, I haven't got anything. It was a, it was extremely intimidating place. I remember the first time I walked in, it had a big sign, big sign that said, "You are now entering Sun Country," mm-hmm. and and you know it, you felt like you should be giving giving your your passport, presenting yeah. your passport, some yeah. sort of border control. It was like a different country, definitely. So uh, PhD, I don't know how far into your PhD you are, and um, uh, would I? What would you do? Would you give up a PhD? I've never been in the position where, frankly, I felt that intelligent to be able to take something like a PhD. My career path has been so different. My career path has followed the three words, you know, that, that he mentioned in, in his email. The le- I've taken a leap of faith career path uh, because I, I, you know, I wanted to work in broadcasting. Then I wanted to work in television. Then I wanted to work in photography. And now I want to do more filmmaking and podcasting. And every single step along the way has been a leap of faith. And it's been a leap of faith made by wanting to work in, in industries that are artistic. They have nothing, nothing to do with any qualifications apart from the qualification and experience of life. And maybe what he's seeking here is experience of life. We're not really helping Ricky, are we? I don't no, you think do, so. I mean, you do, I don't think you go into photography thinking, if you do go into photography thinking, um, next year, Rodney, will all be millionaires. And so you need to be aware uh, for those of our American cousins and uh, etc. Et and European cousins that perhaps don't watch Del Boy or know, know about Del Boy. You know, that's, you don't go, I don't believe you go into photography or radio or television or, or anything like that because you're thinking that next year, 
or if you are, I think you're doing it for the wrong reason. You're you're part of that generation that that believe that um, you know exactly. the followers are more important than than than, than actually artistry. I mean, what well, essentially it's vocational work, isn't it? This kind of stuff and vocational work doesn't always make as much money as you'd like it can make it but it's did, did he say that's what he's doing it for though to be fair to him he didn't no 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 absolutely no. not no absolutely so um yeah i mean my ultimate goal is to become a documentary wedding photographer there you go that was my ultimate goal as well and i did it that's do you your, ever your do you ever re- regret um leaving what was a a, a a much safer environment in terms of money? Not for an instant, never. Now, all those weeks that we've, we've joked and you've said, I want to become a marine biologist, yeah. and anything but this. No, absolutely. I would never, ever want to go back to that traipse in back and forth London, the tubes, the people, the, nobody ever talked to each other. It was horrible. Places I worked were nice, and the people I worked with were nice. And actually, I enjoyed what I physically did. But the, no, I would hate, and, you know, holidays and stuff, you know, having to... Having to all, like ask somebody if you can take a week off and then mm. for them to say no, mm. no, 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 I can't. Do but that's that a different stuff. way of life, isn't it? That's self-employed. I mean, you could be a self-employed yeah. plumber and well, have all the I'm advantages saying. of of self-employment. No, that, absolutely, that's what I'm saying. So you know, when when um, when you become a uh, when one becomes a self-employed marine biologist, you have the you have the same <laughs> yeah. same benefits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't know. Have we helped him there or not? I mean, he essentially asked you the question, not me. But you 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 are reticent to say give up your PhD, aren't you? Well, you really. Only because, like, it's not my choice to make. You, no. you, only you can absolutely think. You. All I can say is that I gave up a, uh, you know, a career and it worked for me. I didn't, you know, I don't know how much money you've invested in the PhD. I know they're expensive, all of that kind of stuff. I don't know, you know. What you want to do, Ricky, is ring up Gemma and she can talk to you about it because she's the best sounding board for it. Um, and there is actually another part to this question, which is more technical, and I feel like I might be able to answer this a bit more accurately. With the Fujifilm X-T3, I shoot both JPEG and RAW. However, in Lightroom, I really cannot get the look out of my RAW. Same film simulation, same settings as I get from my camera. Is, it, uh, is there a way, any suggestion on how to mimic the look, or should we just stick with either Capture One or Fujifilm X-Studio to get that look? Um, well, the answer is that you will never get the exact same look from the JPEGs in Lightroom, and you would have to use uh, XStudio to do that, or you can do it on the camera itself. You can get fairly accurate, fairly close, but you won't get exactly the same. Now, the Capture One thing, we talked about this last week, and I still haven't had time to, to look at that properly, whether it inherits things like sharpness, shadows, yeah, highlights, all yeah. that stuff. And I promise I will do that, and I will report back in due course. Um, so thank you, Ricky. I am going to send you a strap um, all the way to... Melbourne, Australia. Yeah. Well done. A long flight from Melbourne in Australia. We go to Vancouver Island, Canada. Jay, thank you for your question. Your podcast is very important to me, guys, as I'm sure it is to others as well. It's nice to think that, and um, it's nice to think that it is. Thank you. Kevin, you are my, you are my standard. There we go. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, I think that's, that's practically a marriage proposal, actually. <laughs> Uh, I love your work, but more importantly, I love your approach. I love the craft. I love you. No, he didn't say that bit. And how you treat those around you. I've found my passion in life thanks to you at the ripe old age of 41. Oh, my God, he's ancient. 41. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I yeah. dream of being 41 again. <laughs> I actually had some hair when I was 41, believe it or not. I had never seen a documentary star wedding before finding your content on YouTube. Your story of how you came across Jeff Ascoff feels identical to how I came across your work and decided it's what I wanted to do. So this, I thought this actually dovetailed into your question quite nicely. So yeah. thank you very much for that. Neil, you're all right too, I guess. <laughs> um, I have such a great appreciation. My wife tells me if I don't stop talking about you, Kevin, she might leave me. There we go. <laughs> I think we've established that Kevin is, is, is definitely your benchmark in life as, as well as artistry. I'm sure Kev uh, will just skip all over that. That's why, that's why I read this question, you see, because I knew you'd say blah, blah, blah. But the question is actually for both of you. Is there a platform either of you believe stands out above the rest for creating a website to show your work as well as sell prints for wedding clients or this could be it doesn't have to be weddings this could be anything it could be portraiture it, it could be day in the life stuff kev i believe you use zenfolio so i'm in the process of creating a site with them now any recommendations and why you use them would be great uh, thank you very much do you want to talk about zenfolio first because aren't you uh are you a, an ambassador for zenfolio yeah i am and i use the i use zenfolio for all of my back-end stuff so um uh, hosting my images for my clients the galleries the um order line the ordering system they uh, they use it for picking the images for the albums all of that stuff so the back-end system is what i use from zenfolio front end i don't use it i use uh, wordpress for my wedding website 
and Squarespace for my training because website. you can't you can't actually do your whole website through through Zenfolio, and that will it will be a good reason for, for doing that. Will be because it, it it speaks so intelligently to the the back end sales part. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a it's actually a very capable front end um, system. It's just perhaps doesn't give you as much control over um, some stuff as maybe WordPress does. But it all depends on your. We mentioned this last week. It all depends on your level of experience, and you know the the great thing about Zenfolio is it's it's just hosted, uh, controlled by them in terms of any kind of technical issues whatever you can't break it you won't be able to do anything wrong squarespace is similar in that respect so yeah zenfolio for me is the one i use for all of my print sales and you know album ordering and all of that stuff it's great it does nice financial reports you can just give to the accountant everything it's it's really really cool actually zenfolio i know we touched on this last week but, but you know you don't i'm sure you don't um, i'm sure you don't listen to every single podcast not every single listener does so, so let, let's just recap a little bit on on what um, other platforms are available then if you are going to design a website what what you would suggest because you've got wix out there haven't we we've got uh um, Wix, I would never go near Wix. Would you if, not? Why, why if, not? Um, not? So we've got Squarespace, we've got Wix, we've got WordPress. Wix definitely is not something I would consider for a professional photography why? business. Why? Well, it's uh, it's basically cheap and cheerful, isn't it? I think it's. I don't think you know. I think you can build a website on it pretty pretty good, but it's certainly aimed at you know kind of very quick, very you know build them quick, get them up and running. You know, not a lot of uh, not a lot of um, great control over it, as far as I can tell. So maybe a great website for uh, somebody in local services, plumbing, or yeah. but not necessarily you want to have lots of opportunity content. to yeah. to build content like picture galleries, films, and so on. Yeah, exactly. So that, that kind of brings you down to something like WordPress or Squarespace, um, Zenfolio. All three of those will do the job perfectly well. Um, I use all three of them in different forms. And I think that, it, you know, we did say last week, it all depends on your experience. But Squarespace is the one that I would go with if you're not particularly comfortable with, you know, with kind of getting your hands dirty. Squarespace, you can get up and running in a couple of hours and it's self-hosted. So you don't have to worry about any of that. They'll look after the domain names, your emails, all of that kind of stuff. Squarespace is brilliant for that. And um, my my wedding website, I use WordPress. I do it myself and I've got full control over it. And on the back end of that is my Zenfolio system, which I use for print ordering, cal- uh, client galleries and everything else. And why, why don't the you... Good thing, the good sorry, the thing I didn't mention about Zenfolio, which is something that I use uh, use it for a lot, right. is offsite backup. Right. So all of the high-res JPEGs go into Zenfolio. So that's my cloud backup. But also you can store raw files there as well, if you wish. Oh, you never used to be able to do that? No, you can oh, well, you could, but they used to charge you a fortune for doing it. Yeah, I mean, they have different um, subscription levels, of okay. course. But the All pro right. level, the one that I use, you can upload Is unlimited? raw files. Yeah. 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 Even for, for raw files. Yeah. Um, why do you... I'm intrigued why you use... Squarespace for some stuff and WordPress for others. For example, I know that your main website is WordPress. Mm. Why, why not Squarespace? Well, a couple of reasons. It's because it's so old and there's, there's a lot of content on there. It's got a lot of architectural history and Google. And if I changed it to Squarespace, I would have a one hell of a massive job on my hand to map the URLs and keep everything the same. And the other thing is that my my um, workshop website doesn't need to be maintained so much. I don't really blog on there. It's just a, it's just a place for people to go and look at the workshop content. People don't come to me for my workshops by searching for street photography workshops or wedding workshops in Google. They come through word of mouth recommendations, etc. So it's not that important that I, I spend time on it. My wedding website has to be performing well in Google. I have to be tweaking it. I have to constantly be doing stuff on there to try and get it as uh, optimized as possible. And WordPress is better for that. All right. Well, there, there's your answer. And there's a couple of ideas when it comes to Zenfolio as well. Right, your question, Kev. Then it's into the interview with Amelia Trowbridge. Okay, so I have one from David. And he says, hi, I'm a big fan of the podcast. Thanks for taking time to make such a high-quality production every week. That's the kind, isn't it? <laughs> um, well, even when we're in Kev's office here. Because it's very different. I, I mean, I like this idea of taking this little outside broadcast road desk out. To, we, could, we, could, uh, we could effectively do this show from uh, the Indian restaurant every single week. Oh. Yeah. The, the the problem with this one though, this technology here is I can see you fiddling with your buttons all the time. Oh right, you Whereas can't see that usually in the studio. I can't see you. I'm riding you. I'm I'm riding you. I'm riding the levels. That's what they call it. I'm riding you. It's a very odd expression. I don't want to know. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no. 
Anyway, your question. <laughs> Moving on. Um, okay, so David says, um, do you find... Oh, okay, my question is about focal lengths. Do you find that you are able to accurately visualize how different scenes will look at a different focal length? Have you done any exercises to improve your ability to pre-visualize the scene? I imagine you don't want to futz around with changing lenses. Just you don't want to what, sorry? Futz around? F-U-T-Z. Never heard that expression. Mm. David doesn't right. say where he's from either, no. so uh, I don't know whether that's like an... Australianism, okay. Canadianism. It, it does sound a, a, quite, a, quite Australian, actually. I think I did hear it once in a nightclub in Merthyr Tidville, but I don't yeah, know whether yeah. it's the same No, thing. I think you heard a very different word. I, I imagine you don't want to futz around with a change in lenses <laughs> just to find out the lens you put on doesn't look quite right. That's a really interesting question, actually, because I do, on my street photography workshops, I do, do do some exercises on some of them where I get people to use their um, the frame of their fingers, their hands, you know, to frame things mm. independently. And I ask them, you know, hold it as far away that you think it might be in the view of an 18 mil and then 23 mil and then 50 mil. So we do kind of have those little exercises, but it's not something I necessarily think about when I'm shooting. I'm, because I mostly shoot 2356, I can pretty much pre-visualize what I'm going to see. Um, Consistency is really important and, and, and yeah. having a consistent look to your work. And that, that goes whether you're shooting stills or or actually if you're shooting uh, film. I mean, we, we talk quite a lot about Philip White, mm. um, the incredibly good filmmaker that he is. And, and he uses an 85 mil pretty much all the time. Yeah. And there's a consistent look, which is really important, I think, in his work. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the 23 mil, 35 mil equivalent is, the thing that's the most natural or like the closest to natural vision eye vision i think for me i know we all have different um <laughs> we all see things wider and narrower than other people apparently that that blows my mind because how do we know that what do you mean well apparently like my my field of vision mm. might be less than yours or yours right. might be wider than mine okay so but how do we know that how do like who, i, don't know. Who, I, how I, I thought I, I thought we all had the same no, it's, it's slightly different for different people. And also, how do we know that what I think is black is not what you just call it black because you've always been told it's black, but it could be green in your eyes. Well, that, yeah, but that, that's, no, that, that's mine. This is black, this thing here, isn't yeah. it? And that's yellow. Yeah, but you... And you, you know that, the same as me. Yeah, absolutely. There's subtleties, of course, and that's colour blindness. It deals with subtleties, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I'm saying is, how do you know that that's not, uh, you know, in your world... It's it's black, but you might be seeing green in like if I was using your eyes, what you were looking at might be green, but you you know you've just all, you've been born and grown up knowing it's black. Yeah, <laughs> blows my mind. It's also the same as trying to think about space going on forever. That blows my. Do you mind. know every single time we get in an air aircraft, Sam always turns to me and says. I wonder what keeps these things in the air. I mean, I know it's engines and movement and, uh, you know, pressure under and over wings, but so have we answered this question yet? <laughs> what was that? That was not at all relevant to anything we talked about. <laughs> okay. What were we talking about? Yeah, so we were talking about pre-visualising. Oh, yes, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Do you do that then? Uh, well, look at a scene and think, right, this needs to be um, a 56 mil or a 23 mil or a 16 mil. Yeah, I think it's actually... Uh, to, to an extent I do, because... Um, if you think of your if you think of your lens bag, if you like your, your kit bag, and you know, the lens is within it as being within a golf bag, then you know you'd always know when you say I don't play golf, so I'm not I'm not going to now give um, why you would use a chip above a, a wood or a seven iron above. I don't know any of the numbers, uh -huh. but I, I would assume it's a bit like that. You kind of know when you walk to a green what what you're going to use because this has this kind of slope and so on and so forth. Uh -huh. And and I do think uh, in that that respect, I know that um, there will be certain scenes that I'm always going to use a 23mm for and it will be poised and ready for it because I know that's a wide scene. Yeah. Equally, I know when I want to compress a scene and what, what I'm going to photograph using a 56. Yeah, in that respect, I, I, I do, I suppose. Uh. Is that what he means? Yeah, I think, I think so. so. Yeah, it's a good question. Thanks, David. Thank you, David. Right, this week's interview. Um, Amelia Trowbridge, amazing, amazing photographer. In fact, when I spoke to you about her, I think I, think I, I may have been speaking the other day I did the interview, just, but just before I did the interview, uh. and you were looking at her work and it was yeah, it's incredible. 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 Um, I, I'm not going to spoil it by talking about particular uh, parts of her work. I think this interview d d does it so well. So, uh, this is my chat with uh, Amelia Trowbridge. Half Maltese, born in London, studied at Middlesex University, American studies, which led to a move to complete your studies in New York. And, and that's, I think, where you found photography, isn't it, Amelia? Talk, talk, talk me through those, those early opportunities to make pictures Ooh. against what is an exceptionally iconic backdrop. 
Yes, I think uh, studying American studies and doing uh, a module on FDR, uh, Roosevelt and the New Deal photographers and seeing Dorothea Lang was was a big moment for me. Um, but actually, my, my love for photography started. My father had given me a beautiful little Pentax camera. And after he died, I just started shooting. And I think it was out of that year of, of sort of healing and mourning that I just suddenly found an absolute connection to the camera and decided that I wanted to pursue this. And it was a long road to get it started and I, I just got on with it really. I like to hear those, those those romantic stories about cameras being in hands when you were young and mm. a father or a mother being being uh, being ex- extremely uh, important in that decision to, to make mm. pictures and, and you're exactly that but it was Dorothy Lang that really captured your imagination I mean you mentioned Dorothy's name just a moment ago yeah I mean well you know it, it was the first time I'd seen a, a female photographer I guess as an explorer and as an adventurer you know we're pre-internet here we're not taught at school about women doing those things so you don't really know that they do these things if that makes sense yeah. um, I wasn't surrounded by people in my immediate circle in my friends and family who did things like that so I think when you find someone that's done something that inspires you it it, it gives you a jolt you know and it it, it was but you know that that image that she shot of the mother and child you know it was sort of female suffering and in a way I was actually rejecting that I'm very much a generation x kind of woman and I was like well my life's not going to be about suffering (laughs) she says and I wanted to I wanted to live life and I wanted to see it and I wanted to I wanted to fall and I wanted to succeed and I think with a camera in my hand, it, it, it makes sense. You know, does the camera choose you or do you choose the camera? Yeah. I, I mean, I felt it like it chose me. Let's start back in the, the with those travels. Then. I'm going to go back to the 90s. And you won the Ian Parry Award for your project called Dublin's Urban Cowboys. It's yes. A real gritty inner city story about, well, it's youth and there's desperation uh, with, a, with a serving of hope, if, if that doesn't sound too much yeah, like a cliche. No, but there was hope. But for, 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 for young riders and their horses in the city, which is a story i just wasn't aware of um but those horses in that city they were they were quite a feature of that urban landscape but i'm intrigued how you were drawn to that story i saw a little documentary on them on the tv and i was like i need to go there and it was like that's what that's my story and I got on a plane on my own and I hired a Nissan Micro and I didn't know where I was going. I couldn't find it. And I kept kind of asking people and, and, and they're there on a Saturday morning in the grey, horrible Irish weather yeah. were all these kids playing in the, the kind of in the square there. Uh, and they were bareback riding and there were no adults. There were just no adults around. And I, I, I remember, you know, that. We, we forget, we take it for granted, you know. People see this bombastic side of me and actually I'm I'm, I'm also a very gentle uh, woman and I was very insecure and to walk up to a stranger at the beginning was a really big deal. It wow, was like okay. going out of your comfort zone. It was jumping off a cliff, you know, and I, you don't know anyone and and I did it and I, I remember feeling so nervous and so sort of scared and, and, and it, it was just an absolute connection yeah, with those kids. I mean, it's very up close and personal, these pictures, you're yeah. I, mean, I, I would imagine you're work- yeah. I felt an absolute connection yeah. to these children. It's work that you made it's almost a quarter of a century ago now, isn't it? I mean, mm. it's, it's formative yeah, I'm work. 21, 22. But, I just left the university. But it and, still takes very valuable uh, page space on your website. So it's something that you're still very connected with, isn't it? It's a tough industry, as we all know today. And I know it's all about, you know, you're only as good as your last job and it's about what you do now. But I, I, I'm really proud of the fact. One of my, you know, people like, what are you most proud of? of or what's your greatest achievement it's like surviving as a photographer earning yeah. a living for 25 years and that is because it's really hard and i think those pictures are important have you been back i went back i was on a shoot god 10 years ago uh for actually american condé Nast traveler yeah and i drove to Ballymun and it was all gone <laughs> oh was it yeah, so it sounds like the government was successful because there was this thought that the horses were keeping vulnerable kids from getting involved with the drug scene, wasn't there? Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, like, these kids were all children of addicts and alcoholics, okay? You've got, like, a chronic substance abuse problem. You know, it's like the worst poverty in the Ballymun estate, you know, if you read up about it. And, you know, the, 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 those, the horses and that responsibility of keeping those horses was their lifeline. It's what kept those children uh, sane and playing, and it, get, it gave them a community 
empty, yeah. you know. And, you know, it was like the government were taking it away. And it was like, well, you don't do that. You invest a bit of money to, so that then they can look after their horses properly. So as soon as I got there, I, I was, you know, on the side of these kids. And the, the, these horses gave them their sanity. And it was their right to live. And yeah. it was their right to joy and to have empathy, you know, and to look after something, you know, because they weren't getting parenting. How did they accept you into their, their lives? Were they? Well, I don't know why. That's my energy, though. That's what I do. Right. That's why I've done what I've done. And I'm very lucky and I'm very grateful. And friends of mine say that it, that when my dad died, he gave me like a little lucky star because uh-huh. that's what I've done. And I would walk into a war zone and I would, I would quite simply just get away with murder, you know, and I've had some very close shaves. And I, I've, I've seen when I'm kind of pushing it a little bit too far, I was obscenely fearless uh, at that time in my life. And I was willing to take any risk uh, available, but they, they just invited me in you know they knew i was there not to judge or to to look down on them or i don't know it doesn't occur to me amelia that that your fearlessness has has gone in any way shape or form when i look at your work i think i have a duty to myself so that's about me and as a person i i've always pushed myself and i think i have a responsibility to myself to be the best version of what i i i could be and it's very easy to kind of not do that and just but you know i i it's it's part of who i am and i think we need this and i think we need this in our society those urban cowboys are a long way from the glitz of many of your commissions <laughs> oh, i mean I Va- vanity fair conde nast you you mentioned that the, the traveler jimmy chu um lk yeah. bennett I and mean, where, where did you feel your your career started to really gain traction or, or maybe that's a well, how it's very confusing for people because some people will know me as that kind of photographer and then other people will know me as that kind of photographer and then there's some people who know me as the tatler photographer yes and it, it's all a bit confusing, isn't it? But that's actually, if you look at me and you know me, you know that's what I'm about. And that I, I I do transcend lots of different classes and races. I suppose I don't see this hierarchy when I bring my camera to a shoot. I mean, when I did that Jimmy Choo, that, so I don't know if you know, but Tamara Mellon, who was a real visionary of a woman, built Jimmy Choo. And she did this project with Elton John and got female photographers to photograph 50 women naked in Jimmy Choo's. And all the money, and it was a few million, went to the Elton John, John, uh, Elton John Foundation and I was asked to shoot a few women for it and it was a great project to work on and it was the first time I I worked on a project that was by women with women and that was just like a whole new era of my work and I was asked to shoot quite glamorous pictures and I, I was quite in awe of it you know I'm a people pleaser um, I don't think that's my best work uh, but I love doing it and I'm good at it and I got to shoot Serena Williams which was just yeah. brilliant and uh, I also worked with a, a supermodel it was the first time I worked with an uber model and her name was Yasmin Lebon and I remember thinking wow that's that's really easy because I'd, I'd always get the like the tough subjects yeah. you know the magazines always commissioned me to shoot people that weren't beautiful <laughs> you know uh, so uh, shooting a model was like it was fun it was so it was just frivolous and fun but there was still a backstory and i loved putting my name to the backstory of of really you know female power um, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the female power thing as well mm. because i'm really drawn to your work with um, with women for women which is mm. an organization that helps women survivors of war and i'm going to quote from their website now rebuild their lives I'm, oh. I'm fascinated because i'm familiar with the work of a few personal friends who are photographed in bosnia Right. And, and they're not comfortable pictures from a time no. of, of complete madness, as as all war is. Um, but but I, I'm in, intrigued again as to what drew you to, to that. But I think I know the answer to this, but what drew you to that cause? And, and in particular, maybe that region. Yeah, well, you know, I'm very familiar of, uh, with Tom Stoddard's work there in Sarajevo. I'd also worked with Ed Viliami, who was a Guardian journalist who had uncovered the camps. So I know, you know, it was my time, that that world, you know. And I, when the war in Kosovo started, I, I begged Aidan Sullivan to send me. And I also asked the Standard to put in a bit of money. And I went to Kosovo for a month and lived in, well, it was the refugee camp, really. But I got into the kind of areas where there was war breaking out with the KLA. Uh, I'm not a war photographer. What I've realised is, you know, when I was faced with suffering, uh, I can't, I, I'm not the person that photographs the suffering. I, I ended up, I put my camera down and want to make them tea. 
where I think where my talents lie is overcoming suffering. And that's where Women for Women comes in. I meet Britta. So Britta is the head of, of Women for Women in the UK and Europe. And I met her on a, on a panel discussion I did for my third book. I did a book on women. And I did a book on women in 2015. And Britta and I were just singing from the same hymn sheet. And uh, she's like a sister, you know. I, I We just both just really connected. And she got me involved with uh, the assignments that Women for Women were doing. And I went to Srebrenica to do the march with Women for Women for Vogue US. So to return to that region... 20 years after the war. And I did, I returned there twice, actually. I returned then a year later with Women for Women to Kosovo and see the devastation of war, okay? And that you, you go to war and then you're left and then it finishes and then everyone's just left to heal and they don't know how to heal. Yeah. And society doesn't, you know, encourage them to heal. They're expected to have been gang raped and then to shut up about it and to go home to their husband and four children and just to get on with it. Yeah. And it doesn't work. You gotta you gotta do the work. And I, I, I've I've had my own traumas and suffering in my own life. And I've learned how I've had to heal and loss. You know, I think that's a just but haven't we all? And, you know, I'm interested in also second generation trauma. And, you know, we were all kind of the children of people that lived through World War II. So anyway, I go to Bosnia and I and I do the march, the Srebrenica march with all the uh, women for women for women. And it was just so powerful. And what this march was, was a chance for all these soldiers. It was mainly the soldiers who had fought in the wars. It was a chance for them to all come together and to heal. And it was a very healing thing. And it helped them to, to shed another layer. But what you've got is, uh, you know, Bosnia hasn't healed, you know, 20 years after the war and everyone is just stuck in their pain and in what's happened. And uh, that's where I'm fascinated by Women for Women and the work that they do. You mentioned right at the start the the the, the war, though, and the standard providing you with some money. And this is a conversation, actually, I had I had with Tom. And the money that, uh, sadly and unfortunately, is, is, is just not, no, it's not, that. not around anymore to, to, to help people cover these such important issues. I know. And the work I shot there was actually just, for me, really important. And you know what? I think the Sunday Times ended up p- printing one picture – and then, you know, uh, you know, going to Kosovo, there was uh, what, what I experienced most was all these journalists, all the world's best writers and photographers were all there. Yeah. And, uh, and they would all hang out every day in the Bar America. And there was Mary Colvin and they were all there. And, um, and they didn't have very much to do because as we, I can't, don't know if you all remember, but the war was all kind of was, was happening hidden away. It was all kind of quite guerrilla warfare, wasn't it? It was the yeah. KLA and, yeah. and the Serbs and the Serbs, the Serbs had thrown everyone out of Kosovo. And, and so, so no one was really seeing any action. So everyone was just kind of stuck in Kukas and it rained every day and there was a giant refugee camp and everyone was just nattering and talking. And then there were the KLA commanders and they were all on the hustle. You know, they felt they were feeling very buoyant because the West had supported them. Remember, you know, Blair was like, we're going to help you, you know, and it all just felt like a hustler's kind of situation and there was a there was a journalist from the mirror and he was writing a story about stolen jewelry or something anyway and i ended up being a fixer between the mirror and the kla and that's how i made my 1500 quid in the end because in the end i only got 300 from the evening standard and i probably got 500 from 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 being yeah yeah your documentary projects marines for a squire on tour with motorhead i love i i I smile with that one but uh, that's you know what uh there's another thread to my work and there's the humor yeah and if all else fails in life, you've got to laugh. <laughs> well, there's bare, <laughs> and you've got bare, to keep the humour. Yeah, bare uh, fist fighters, Soho lives. I mean, there, there's humour in those those projects. Yeah, variety, Amelia, is a spice, but maybe this is an unfair question which of those spices do you enjoy most on that rack no i'm all about the balance i can't answer that question <laughs> I didn't life, think you could. life works when you have yeah. the balance so i've asked this question of photographers before when i see portraits in their commission galleries such as uh, prime ministers and supermodels how, yes. how you view the work of publicists because that's changed immeasurably <laughs> i mean to make one picture or, or a story the yeah, way you want to a lot of publicists yeah. and they have a job to do yes and like that and, you know, I've always said we're not bigger than the system. And I think that's really true. To, to photograph famous people, great actors, great talent, I'll call it not famous people, but talent. And, uh, you know, the talent that you see in the film industry without a publicist controlling it, but that's their job, is, is a rare and beautiful thing. And that's some of the best work. You know, you think of the Marilyn Monroe. Yes. 
yeah. stuff in the 60s you know there wasn't a publicist around you know and it's it, it's been very it's been it's frustrating isn't it uh for photographers but this is the way it is and this is how you know uh movie stars or directors are, are expected to be seen in a certain way in a certain light now and the publicist the role of the publicist has had a lot to do with that don't you think i think uh, so yeah it's about control isn't it it's about power and it's about control right but, you know, everybody's – you've got loads of cooks, haven't you? You've got so many cooks now involved in producing imagery. And, you know, when I start, I got, like, the last train in the industry, didn't I? I got, I got that little golden last yeah. year's where it yeah. was like, oh, Amelia, go and spend time with this famous person and just do what you do. And no one came along with me. Um, and then it changed. And then you had a choice. It was like – Okay, I, I, I decided to become a photographer so I can shoot for magazines and meet incredible people and photograph them, et cetera, et cetera. Now, what am I going to do? Am I going to evolve or am I going to make a stand? You know, and that's the choice that you have to make. And it's a boundaries. You know, you're working out boundaries. So I'm not going to use like a blame thing. And, you know, I just hope that there's more balance in our system. Really, the, those four words you just used—the way it is—I mean, never, never, never is that more true than than the introduction of social media. I mean, I, I wonder, I wonder how Dorothy Lang would have would have would have, would have appreciated social media. What what do you think about social media? Now, well, how much has you know, it changed what you do? I, I had a BlackBerry, yeah, till like 2014, right. and uh, I had two teenage stepdaughters at the time who were like couldn't think of it they just thought it was the best thing ever and I was like this is a nightmare and I I just thought how on earth am I gonna you know I've got I I think I must have ADD because you know what I love about the camera is it focuses me and um you know as a photographer it gave me a massive way to focus all this energy and when I put social media into the equation I felt that that it was just going to break my flow really badly Mm. and I'm right in a way I mean the thought that I have to post an image and tell everyone how amazing I am is really is a really bizarre thing for me um and I I I sort of realize I'm also aware that by posting one image you're putting everyone's now with social media it's all everyone's got to put you in a box and it's a real shame, you know, um, and there's a, there's a, there's an equation and then that's it. And you play that game and that's that, you know? So, I mean, I felt that there was a wild west moment with social media and I think things are calming down a bit. You know, I need to go to social media school and learn how, how I can harness the power of social media to, to do what I love, to inspire and to also earn a living. Because that's the other thing. It's like, you know, it has taken away copyright. But I, again, I've had to accept it. I have seen so many people post images of mine that they are, they are out of copyright on, yeah. you know. And I, I just accept with love. Because if I don't accept with love, it will destroy me. Well, that's interesting Does because some photographers, and actually I'll say uh, the other side of the pond generally well, will will chase will yeah, will be rabid yeah. it's completely it's not the other side of the pond i've had experiences in, in the court system in great britain and it doesn't work unless you've got lots and lots and lots of money and i don't have lots and lots of money i'm just a i'm just a photographer that just wanted to take amazing pictures yeah okay and i know i am a i know my energy is power powerful and i know i'm fearless but i'm not financially powerful and i am living in a country that is all about financial power right now so i don't have i don't have the time or the energy to fight these people so we all have to take responsibility for our own stuff and i'm not going to use my energy to go out and fight bad people or people that want to take my my property for free i'm going to use it to continue just dreaming and continue shooting pictures that i'm proud of and that i feel bring up the high, the vibration of our society in a time when i think we all really need it and to to raise my son as a single mother in the best way i possibly can i, look, I want to end with a, a light ish question it's right. a couple of years but uh, ago but tucked into your news in the, well, the news part of your archive was a portrait of one of my one of my favorite radio presenters kirsty young celebrating 75 years of the airing of that magnificent show which i love to bits you've not yet appeared on the show this is not where you tell me you have um but but i think you'd make a super castaway on that program and and i'm intrigued Uh, i'm I'm going to ask the question in case kirsty never gets the chance to ask you so i'm i'm going to ask the questions that they have at the the end which i almost it's one of my favorite parts of the show actually they're allowed for anybody that hasn't heard the program and i can't believe you haven't um you're allowed to take one piece of music and I'd love to know what that would be. 
I don't like choosing just one song. Well, you'd have to. That's the problem. There's a Jeff, there's a Jeff Buckley song. I can't remember it's the name of it, though. Okay. And it's just the most beautiful song. And I think I would take that. Uh, just a goosebumps have just, just passed across my body because I'm feeling I'm in Kirsty's shoes, which would, which would, it's a very odd, odd experience. <laughs> One book they always ask you for as well, don't they? And I think oh, that has 100 to. 100 Years of Solitude. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I'm trying to reread yeah, that. Yeah. But I, again, how, how could you ask for one book? But I've chosen yeah. 100 Years You'd have of to Solitude. reread it a lot of times, wouldn't you? And then they always have a luxury item. Now they, on the, pro, <laughs> the program laws, <laughs> well, the program laws are that they can't, it can't be overtly practical i think a duvet would be overly practical would it oh my god no but on a desert island without a duvet a really <laughs> thick oh so i can get really cozy i love i was it. i was wondering whether you'd choose a camera but of course then you'd need your printing yeah. gear and everything like, you? but the camera i can't then download the images no. i can't then process them <laughs> so i would love to have my camera but then i don't have all the other stuff i can only take one thing so maybe it would be I a duvet survive yeah and see i'm a survivor you see yeah. so i thought about survival so <laughs> i i took my duvet because without a good night's sleep i can't function <laughs> that's all a bit hitchhiker's guide of the galaxy isn't it the one thing yeah. you'd take is a towel or something like that towel no no you can <laughs> you can go for a swim in the sea and then dry in the sun <laughs> a duvet just you know what you just feel so cozy i, lo- I love my coziness and um i love my sleep so i need a good night's sleep well i i hope that kirsty and the bbc team will forgive me for asking you some questions that uh uh, that of course they ask their guests but mm-hmm. I, I was fascinated to end that way Amelia, I, I, it's been an absolute privilege talking to you and, and privilege is the word that is so often associated with photography and, uh, and it's yeah. my privilege it to have, it is a privilege and it has been a time. privilege and every year I sort of have to pinch myself you know, um, that I've, I've done this for this long, it's, it's been extraordinary well keep pinching please I will, okay, <laughs> will do my thanks to uh, Amelia Trowbridge for, um, for her time in the interview this week and I, I, as I said before I do intend to go and do a, a longer version of that for, for the Breathe Pictures podcast um, honestly I could have talked to Amelia for hours oh, and hours and hours and hours and we just touched on a couple of the projects such as the uh, the Dublin Cowboys one oh. and the oh, just, just amazing incredible work and uh, do see the link obviously to go and see Amelia's work and website uh, within the uh, the links that we'll, we'll we'll publish this week. Yeah, we're coming from Kev's studio for well, this is the second of the two weeks because uh, you've been travelling. We went to the oh, Hip Fest, Hull, yeah, at a wedding in Scotland. A wedding in Scotland. So so uh, d- honestly, tying Kev t- to come to the radio studio, which is where we normally do it, was so so difficult. In the thirty, what are we? Thirty five episodes, wherever we are now, it was it was almost impossible. So I said, oh, I tell you what, we'll bring the we'll bring the outside uh, broadcast equipment to your place, and we'll do a couple of weeks from from Shea Kev in the opulence around of his tennis-sized, tennis court-sized office that uh, that he has here. Um, what you don't see is the staff that are running around in the background. They're, yeah. they're too shy to come on, to yeah, be honest. Yeah, yeah. Bring me another coffee. <laughs> All right. Um, questions, questions. Okay, so I have a question from Rum, Aruma. We don't get many from Aruma. We don't get many from Italy at all. Don't no, we? we don't. Do you know, it, Italy is one of those languages. We were talking about languages. Ke- um, Kev, um, the other day, Jack, um, I don't know if Rose is doing this for you because she's now... At, um, secondary school, they started at the same same time, didn't they? And um, Jack came back the other day, said, oh, French, go learn French. And uh, we said it was a really useful language, actually, French. A lot of people speak French. Um, I've always thought that, uh, with, with no offence meant to anybody that's French, that actually Spanish would be maybe one of the ones that, uh, because that's a, a much more widely used language, or Cantonese, maybe. Uh, um, Chinese, yeah. It, it, so, but but um, Italian, we were looking down the list of, of languages that are used by people around the world. Italian is one, one of the least, one of the most beautiful languages, but one of the least used languages in the world, apparently. Yeah, there's a lot of connection between kind of Italian, Spanish, Portuguese, all yeah, there's a lot yeah. of crossover, isn't it? Oh, I think French when people speak Italian, it's absolutely beautiful to listen to. Yeah, it's like, it's like yeah, listening yeah. to a song. It's yeah. absolutely wonderful. Anyway, yeah, sorry. Absolutely. So this is from Rome. Yeah, so this is from Mario. 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 Chimezi. 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 Chimezing. Oh, this is terrible. Kev's use of... Uh, this is terrible. Yeah, go on. Anyway, Mario. <laughs> when we do our Christmas bloopers tape, we should have all the... Um, <laughs> all the names that you've uh, you've read it will be hours long <laughs> hours okay barrio goes on to say uh thank you very much for the podcast really enjoyed listening to it chimancy yeah chimancy chimancy 
So he goes on, Mario goes on to say, um, if you could photograph a humanitarian story um, without any kind of budget issues or um, geographic issues, what would it be and why? Wow, what a good question. Mm. Do you know, I know we answer a I lot of te- questions technical like questions, but the, the, these, are the one, these are the ones that light up Kev's eyes. Yeah, yeah. As so well what, as seeing Guinness, usually. <laughs> what would yours be then? Oh, well, I'd, I'd, it'd probably be more somebody that I'd like to photograph that, that's humanitarian, rather than a humanitarian project. Yeah. Um, right now, Gre- Greta Thunberg, mm. uh, you know, I would be so proud. I said this the other day, and both boys looked at me like, are we good enough? When I said, <laughs> I would like Greta to be my daughter. Um, because what she's doing at the moment, did you see her talk at the UN? Yeah, I did. Boy, did she put those idiots down. Yeah. Uh, sorry, that's, that's terrible. I shouldn't, that, that's tarnishing everybody with one brush. And that's, that's, that's wrong. I'm not even going to edit that out. I'm so ashamed of that. I'm going to leave it in and, and live in a pool of, of shame because um, there, there are some decent people that work in the UN. Of course there are. But there were a lot of people there that uh, when the camera panned looked exceptionally uncomfortable with what she was saying. And, and so they should. Yeah. So they should. Yeah. But it's, a, it's an indictment on the world that it takes, you know, a young girl like that to be able to, to A 16 year old girl. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, had, had that been a, uh, you know, a 35, 45 year old white male man in the United Nations, they would have just shouted at him. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, and it would have just all got lost in well, that. And, and indeed, shame on them um, for, well, I, I can't remember her entire speech now, which is shame on me. But I, I do remember it was literally only 24 hours later. Somebody, um, somebody picked on her Asperger's as, as being a, a, a condition that, that somehow, I don't know why, somehow made her words less relevant than, than the words of somebody more qualified to say what, what, what they felt because yeah, they no, were no, employed person, by the UN or something. No, that person is an idiot. I'm being really, really cautious because what they said was cruel and, uh, and just, yeah. just wrong. And did you see the look of absolute death that she gave Donald Trump when he came into the building? Don't be rude. Mm. Surely he felt those looks in the back. Yeah. So as far as the humanitarian project goes, yeah. That's I think, amazing. I think yeah. following, uh, if I could follow Greta for a month, two, three, four, five months, I'd follow you for a year, Greta, and, um, uh, and telling her story and then showing it in context with what she's talking about, that would be the ultimate dream project for me. But I bet you, I bet you right now, this very second, and this is quite a sad thing, is that there are people probably falling over themselves in Hollywood and documentary makers and everything to try and get that gig and you know for for the wrong reasons not to show off not to show off the the, the climate issues Uh but because to ride on the coattails of her and you know that's the world we live in. She needs it? some some very uh, wised up oh, uh, PR sure to look after her. And yeah, I'm, I'm sure she yeah, does. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that would be mine. Well, I'd quite like to do something um, in America. They have a lot of people who uh, homeless people, but they just train hop. They just live on the, the they jump in the back of trains oh, yeah. and just travel around yeah. the country. I'd love to do something like that. There's been some really good photo stories made of that down yeah. the decades, hasn't there? There's a really good film on, and I'm fairly sure it's on Amazon Prime. Uh, it's called it's called Traveller. And it's right. about a photographer, and actually, he's, he's, he makes his money from um, taking photos, um, wet plate photos of the salt plains in in kind of Indiana and Ohio and stuff like that. So he's up at like four o'clock in the morning, freezing cold, taking these pictures. And um, but part of the film, a majority of the film, is his kind of in between stuff. And it's a documentary. It's it's um, so it starts with him leaving his wife in New York. He gets in his car, he drives to wherever, he takes some pictures, and then he jumps on the trains and he meets all of these amazing people. Great stories and a wow. great story. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah, and some of them are just sat by the side of the street. Some of them are on the actually on the trains themselves, and and it's you know he's a real real introvert, but telling amazing picture stories. So, so I know I'd love to do something like that. I know we're not talking commercially here, but co- commercially um, down the years, stories like this ha- have um, have been good fodder for for Life magazine and uh, Sunday supplements. And as Amelia actually Amelia Trowbridge pointed out in her interview. Um, that's an avenue that's been closed a lot. So telling some of these stories, mm. um, unless unless you've got the money and wherewithal to do it, um, is becoming significantly harder to do because there just is not the money floating around to go and take on these tremendously uh, important 
no, projects. Absolutely. And as Mario says, you know, it, it should be, a, his question was about a humanitarian story and where budget was not not an issue. So, yeah, yeah, that's true. You know, humanitarian, I suppose, manifests itself in different ways and, and art is photographing people who, in a yeah. lot of cases, choose to, to, to jump on the trains. But then to, Tom Stoddart mentioned this recently, didn't he, about his work in, um, in Africa and places like that, that it's becoming incredibly hard to talk anybody into allowing you to, uh, or giving you the budget to go out. I know, again, we're talking about budget, but I mean, um, it, it, these these stories need telling, and he wants to go and tell these stories. Mm. I'm not even sure he wants to go and tell these stories to make oodles of money. No. He just wants to be able to go and tell these stories as a photojournalist, and it's becoming harder and harder to do that. Yeah, but because people just aren't interested in that avenue anymore. No, no, no. Well, I think as, as somebody like Tom, where you know, uh, that's his lifeblood. That is his. That's the core of him is about taking pictures and telling stories of other people. And you know, that's it's like trying to keep an airplane on the ground. You know, they want it. It wants to fly. It yeah, wants to yeah. fly. And somebody like that should be, you know, that's that's what they want to do. They just, it, it's it's perhaps not necessarily about making lots of money, but just doing what his what his body is telling him he needs to be doing. Mm. And there are a lot of photographers like that. And you know, I, 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 of course, you know, for us, you know, you and I, especially, we, you know, we're we're privileged in that we make money out of photography, but we make money out of photographing people's weddings. You know, that's not yeah. we're not we're not fighting yeah. on the battlefields or anything. But, you know, but, but going back to that uh, that uh, lovely opening last week, um, which was uh, Glasgow Lee's. Uh, exchange about uh, about making images of family members because one day they're not around that they're still really important to somebody aren't they yeah no yeah. absolutely and, but I know that's not humanitarian no no, no but, but I, no, I Parrish thought that Lee Glasgow should be in charge of anything humanitarian yeah God knows what that <laughs> I get that point <laughs> love but it a bit. I suppose what I'm saying is you know yeah. there's, there's us talking about the, the, a very yeah. romanticised idea of humanitarian yes stories. true 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 you know, it's not uh, always like that and your proper you know mm. your news journals that are currently in Afghanistan and hiding in, in places and getting shot out and stuff like that uh, probably yeah, thinking yeah. that's not humanitarian that's, well, the, that's the, romanticised the, the, the humanitarian know. work then that Amelia did when she was talking about the, the, the women project in the interview just a moment ago that, that I suppose that would count as re really as a humanitarian project yeah. Um, thank you for that question. That was very good. David Beppe, I'm going to send you my strap for this particular one. You were, but because, it, again, it's not a technical one. Not that we might have a technical ones. Uh, you were talking personal projects recently, chaps. Could we have an episode on it? Um, and I think uh, that's enough of a question for me to say, yes, I think we should do a personal projects episode one day. So, so could this be an opportunity now for you, please, to send us in some of your personal projects, what you are working on. Tell us about them. Tell us why they're important. It might even stretch back to Mario's one. If, if, uh -huh. you've, if you've had the opportunity to go and tell a particularly potent story as well, I would love to know what that story is. Um, but we'll extend this further from David. Um, if you could choose a, a personal project to work on now, I'm sorry, it seems a bit unfair because we've just done humanitarian, but let, let's, let's, this could be, could be something about rugby. It might be, I don't know, what would you do? That would be I'm, a dream, wouldn't it? I'm shivering with yeah. anticipation. <laughs> Go on, choose us a personal project. I like the one, no, we, we come back to this constantly, but Alistair's Are We There Yet project, I love yeah, the idea of that. Yeah, yeah, No, that, that, that whole kind of seaside stuff is amazing, isn't it? But the rugby thing, I, I think we talked about this, you, like in episode two or something we did, yeah. is that um, great book about behind the scenes of Welsh rugby. Yes. Um, yes during yes, the yes, Six yeah, Nations, yeah, grand, yeah. you know, one of their recent Six Nations Grand Slams, I'd like to point out. Um, tell you one thing I would like to do, which is really bizarre is I would like to be inside mission control at NASA when something is going up whoa just uh, a, as a documentary piece as of, a photographer yeah. yeah 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 but I wouldn't imagine they'd let me in there because I'd probably I'd almost definitely sit on a you'd, button you'd, you'd lean on something <laughs> yeah. you'd pour your coffee into something wouldn't you would. I'm sorry what is that red button down there <laughs> Uh, do you abort, know abort, abort. I, 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 this comes from a wedding the other day there was a um, I did the wedding for um, a former pro uh, footballer and he played for a, a while I think at Wilston I, I, I would imagine that must be after he was working as a pro footballer I, I don't know I don't, uh, Wilston oh, a, pro, a pro team Vinnie Jones started at Wilston did he start he started at I Wilston, could have that wrong I didn't ask Wimbledon him. then Chelsea yeah. I never know what to ask footballers at, at weddings because I don't want to come across as somebody that just are you, are you tell us feels like is? a fanboy no. Um, anyway, so um, I, the actual personal project I was going to put forward uh, was, was that they played in the Father of the Bride speech, or the Father of the Bride played played in uh, a little bit of audio from, from I think it's called the Wildstone Warrior or something like that. He's on YouTube, and he said, do you want some? Do you want some? It's, it's, it's this incredibly characterful older guy who's just up there for a fight, it seems. But there's these kind of characters exist 
all around the the country right, at uh, yeah. these kind of really rapid fans yeah. that follow um, the smaller teams and they turn up to everything they'll stand there in the rain uh, but I, I thought uh, following that I thought wouldn't that be a fun idea to go around the all the um, all the smaller clubs mm. and uh, and and make photo stories of um, of those that don't follow the Uniteds and don't follow the Arsenal's and the Cities and so on, but they follow their their small minnow like teams. Yeah. But they're absolutely rampantly you know dogged about their their follow their followership or the following of their their support of that team. Mm. Yeah, that would be very. That would cool, be actually. a really fun job. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. dangerous though. Dangerous. It could be. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so anyway, thank you, David. Uh, your question. Okay, so this is from Sean in Nottingham. And he says, uh, I've noticed the theme. Seems that an unusually high proportion of photographers are IT or web development professionals. IT guys, yeah. Or yeah. Have, have been in previous life. Off the top of my head, there's myself, Kevin, landscape photographer, Martin Bailey, Bob Patterson of the Street Photography Magazine. Right. At least one photographer from one of Neil's YouTube films and a couple of guys I work with at my day job in the software industry. Maybe it's just a confirmation bias that uh, because I myself and I'm a software developer, but I wonder if maybe it's a combination of technical and artistic aspects that combine it to make an involved creative hobby. I'd love to hear your thoughts. And um, uh, Is it because it, it IT people like like shiny toys and bags full of gadgets? Buttons. Is it as simple it's as that? all about buttons. Do you think it's simply about that yeah no I, well i don't know you know when i remember when uh, i was talking to albie about this the other day because he's he's kind of into computers and stuff now a little bit more and um i was telling he was like what was the most exciting christmas present you ever had dad and i was like oh i remember one christmas where i'd asked for a uh, my first computer which was an amstrad cpc 464 and, and <laughs> do you know the serial number <laughs> <laughs> i'd also and i actually looked it up on the internet and showed him he was like it's huge and he had a tape player and everything oh god i remember the tape then you yeah yeah, it was oh pretty, God, yeah. I loved that thing. I think my Vic 20 used a, used a tape player. <laughs> and um, I had, uh, I'd also wanted that Christmas, I wanted the snooker table and a, a racer bike. And um, my parents were like, well, you've got to choose which one. A bit one. demanding. I know. There's three good things there. You've got to choose which one you want. Yeah. And uh, and in the end, I went, okay, well, I, the computer, I'll have the computer. And uh, so I went downstairs, uh, opened up the, the computer. I was like really excited. And then my mum said, go and open the curtains at the back of the house. And I was like, what? No, you know, you're oh, my mum. This mom, is going to be Hollywood. This is Hollywood. <laughs> uh, let's, let's bring in a theme tune here. Because this is going to be a lovely part of the story. Theme, theme. Uh, there we go. Go on. She, so we had a little bit of a mini argument while she was trying to yeah. get me to open the curtains. Yeah. Eventually, I lumbered across you know open the curtains yeah, to find yeah. the bike the bike oh, was behind the curtains i knew that was going to be the ending and then yeah and then afterwards after, after lunch she said to no. me, take the um take the rubbish out into the garage no and i was like oh mom i don't want to take the rubbish <laughs> into the garage took the rubbish into the garage and there was there, there was snooker a snooker table, table. Oh. Ah, i nearly wet myself wow did you not quite no okay Anyway, the computer, which is where it all started, yeah. um, really, I was attracted to the Amstrad CPC 464 over the Spectrum because the Amstrad CPC 464 had red and green buttons and the Spectrum was all black and boring. Ah, again. I see, yeah. yeah. And uh, so I used to press on those buttons and I programmed and I, I played and I did everything with it. And then, uh, you know, like I've got this massive urge to press that big red recording well, don't button. Don't do that because stop recording, yeah. If you press that, it's <laughs> boom. Boom. <laughs> Uh, or disappears into the, the middle of the screen like televisions used to years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that's it with IT. I think it's, it, you know, it's good gadgets and I remember, I, and I remember my, my, my first computer was the, the Vic 20. Yeah. Whereas Robin Walsby across the road, isn't it funny how you remember people's names? He had the uh, the, the original, was it the original BBC? There were two oh, BBC computers, weren't there? But the one with the rubberized keys. There's the BBC Micro, wasn't there? Was that the BBC the, Micro? The, what? No, the, the one with the rubberized keys was the BBC Acorn. Was it was an it? Acorn? And, or was um, that a separate thing? Acorn, separate. Uh, well, he was a lot more sensible than me. I wanted the Vic 20 because it, it just looked a bit more sexy. When you look at it now, you think, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> and I liked the tape player that came with it. Whereas he wanted the BBC one because he knew he could program stuff with it. And, yeah. Um, he went on to become, um, he worked for NASA, funnily enough, and, and actually invented a new colour that, that man can't see, but is useful for something to do with science. Yeah, so Robin became, yeah, he went and invented new colours and stuff um, and travelled the world with NASA. Well, the and, person who lived opposite me was called Sarah Milton. Right. And oh, I know Sarah. <laughs> I, I must did have, she have blonde hair? I, she did. Yeah, I, I know Sarah. I, I had a very big crush on Sarah Milton. And, um, me one, too. One day, one day we were... Um, Actually, you know, that would be wrong because you're so much younger than me. One day. That, that would be, sorry, yeah, can I actually, just, I'll retract that. Yeah. I don't know who Sarah is. Actually, we were playing darts in the garage, and um, she she threw a dart at me, and it went into my cheek and stuck in my tongue. <laughs> Seriously, 
and, oh, uh, and this, no. this this story has she a didn't reason. fancy you though did she obviously <laughs> really, by the sound of it no. really not yeah. and um, I had to go to the dentist dentist I had to go to the hospital with this dart stuck in my face and um, the, we'd, we'd rung up or my mum had rung the doctor or something and she said and the doctor said don't take it out because it, you know in case there's a in case it causes tetanus problems or something so I had to go to the, the hospital with this thing holding like, a dart in you on in a bus face. on a oh, bus no and uh, you know with the dart stuck in my yeah. face and yeah. I couldn't say anything because my tongue was stuck to the dart on the no. inside was it painful yeah <laughs> Bloody painful. Yeah. Yeah, really painful. Anyway, Sarah Milton went on to be a, um, a crime scene investigative photographer. Did she? Yeah. Maybe we should have her on the show. Yeah. That would be hilarious, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah. Do yeah. you remember when you tried to spear Kevin with a dart? When you tried to kill him. I never liked Kevin anyway. Not that she speaks <laughs> like that. Sure. <laughs> crime scene photographers don't necessarily have no, to talk like that. No, but no, yeah. yeah. Ah. There you go. Ah, that's, you... that's all of our, that's our childhood history wrapped my, up in my, one my, show. My first uh, love, um, who we, we were just, we'll call her Gail. Um, um, she, um, I, I remember sending her secret messages. I was too young to be having a. My mum and dad told me you're too young to be having a girlfriend. You know, 19 is too young. <laughs> no, no, it was a long way before that. And, um, and and Valentine's Day came, and she gave me a little present, secret present in the playground at school. Uh, she gave me a bar of palm olive soap. Oh. <laughs> I'm not quite sure. That's, that's telling you something, yeah, isn't it? Anyway, last question of the show. Um, this one comes from uh, Dennis Steen Skyam. Uh, hello, gents. Thanks for the po- podcast. It's decent enough. I guess. I'm in the middle of ditching my Canon 5D setup for an X-T3 base one instead. I've raked in enough lenses that I now range from 16 to 200 mil. All well and good, but I'm having some issues at the long end, aren't we all? This weekend, I was shooting my colleagues... Uh, participation in an obstacle race which I took as a great opportunity to take along the X-T3 and the 55-200 to for a test drive but I ended up struggling I consulted the manual beforehand there's your mistake you see men aren't supposed to look at manuals Mm. supposed to guess it and I'm pretty sure it was set up for continuous autofocus, but I ended up missing focus more than half the time. I'd set up the auto ISO to give me a minimum speed of 1 250th, um, so, um, or 250th, sorry, so it isn't a motion blur, but that's the issue. Um, I was trying to photograph a colleague jumping into the water from a tower. And so I focus and wait for the, for the lock. But when he jumped, the focus didn't seem to move with him at all. And I missed the decisive moment of his flabby dad bod hitting the surface of the icy water. I tried experimenting a bit with the facial recognition after that, but it only seemed to make focusing even spottier. Spottier? Uh, got any tips on what I should uh, do to set up the X-T3 to shoot the action of, of middle-aged nerds torturing themselves on obstacle courses? Love the show. Keep up the good work. Blah, blah, blah. He actually wrote that. Um, well, okay. So, uh, uh, well, the 55 to 200 should work fine. One two hundred fiftieth is fine. Auto ISO is fine. Um, if they're running towards you, I would. Uh, it's the face, the face detection thing. You're not gonna. It's not. If it depends on how fast they're going. It's not gonna likely to just drag them around. It also depends a bit on how big they are in the frame. If they're small, jumping way ahead of you, then best thing to do would be pre-focus on the the point that they're going to jump into. Um, if they're running right at you, such as a road race or something, or you know, then continuous focus. But make sure that you have your release priority set for continuous set to uh, release rather than focus. Um, and that's it. That's it. There's absolutely no reason why it shouldn't be working. Mm. 250th is fine. Thank you. And that's it for this week. We've been doing the last couple of weeks um, here at uh, Shea Kevin Mullins, which is uh, his opulent office in, in Malmesbury. And um, so we're back in the studio next week. And then actually it's not long. And then, then we're actually going to do uh, an episode, maybe two, who knows, uh, from the uh, from the ex-weddings conference which we should plug um, now uh, so the X Weddings Conference is not far away there's still tickets available yeah yep just a still few tickets uh, just a few X, just a few x-weddings.co.uk click on the link buy the tickets come say hello and I promise I will smile <laughs> he's going to use that one of his 35 great way to uh, also meet other photographers that are working in the industries that you're working in and that I think is one of the most important things about going to workshops and conferences Fujifilm will be there yep. um, with all of the Jorgensen are there all of their gear so if there's any new things on the horizon ah, sorry I see what you're film, saying yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah they yeah. will be there with a handful of those yes. things whatever yeah. they may be to test and look at and play with um, Jorgensen albums and, will be there yep, yep. Um, and uh, London Camera Exchange will be there so if you decide to buy said new things on the day you could perhaps do that and yeah. walk away you wait in that queue and I'm sure there will be a deal on the table from um, yeah. uh, London Camera Exchange so yeah it's all cool it's all good 
Big love to our friends at Simpler Straps this week for letting us give away a camera strap to each of our favourite email questions of the week. Go to simpler, S-I-M-P-L-R dot U-S if you would like to find out more about those straps. Music is from Blue Wednesday with supporting stuff from Artlist. I keep meaning to mention that. Uh, your payoff this week, Kev, comes from, from Emily. Kevin's Instagram is Kevin Mullins Photography. See his films on YouTube at Documentary Eye. His website is kevinmullinsphotography.co.uk or for street workshops training and everything Fujifilm go to s16.click I'm Emily Ronnier. my Instagram is underscore Emily's Moments underscore and my website is www.emilysmoments.com and my payoff I think can come from Ali Stewart Neil's Instagram is Neil James his website is neiljames.com for pictures and for one-to-one mentoring I'm Ali Stewart my Instagram is Ali Stewart Photo and my website is alistewartphotography.co.uk Ali is spelt A double L-Y and Stuart is spelled S-T-U-A-R-T and we will see you next week bye bye the Fujicast is an independent loading zone production email the show with your questions and words of wisdom to click at fujicast.co.uk email any complaints and political nonsense to our wives who will deal with your comments in their own good time and in their own good way 